Cypher Mega Perry SQ. Two movies. Top pick. Drew knows everything. Hello. Hi. Hi, is that Chanel? Yes. Hello. Sorry, I'm so sorry it's taking me so long to get online um, and everything. I had to download the app. Cool. Yeah. Can you hear me? Is the connection okay? Yes, I can hear you. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak to me and my listeners. No problem at all. Thank you so much for the invitation. It's an absolute pleasure. Yeah, I just got finished reading your book last night. Oh, yeah? Yes. Okay. <laughs> so we're going to talk about that a little bit in the podcast. Yes. I, I said I need to get your book. And I, I went and I got it on um, iTunes last night, and it only took me like an hour and a half to go through. And I was like, oh, I use some of these same tips. <laughs> Good. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that I'm not kind of. Hello? Alex? Hello? 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 Yes. Do you hear me? Yes. Now I can. Hello? Oh. Hello? Okay. Should we try this call again? Hello. Hmm. Alex? Let's. Hello. Okay, I think we lost each other temporarily. Oh, okay, but now hopefully it's better. Perfect. Okay, cool. So, I mean, so whenever you're ready, I'm happy to make a start. Cool. Oh, wow.
Yes. Mm. Absolutely. Cool. Well, thank you so much for the introduction, Shana. I really appreciate it. And this is really, really humbling to know that you've been following me for so many years um, and that basically the way I live my life um, can be of interest to people. Um, I mean, like you say, the only thing that drives me is passion. That's it. I really want to live in a world where people speak more languages, um, but more importantly, where people have more of an appreciation for other people's language and uh, much more empathy for people who have learned to speak their language, because these are kind of things that I don't really see happening at the moment, you know, especially in the English speaking world. So many people believe you can go everywhere just speaking English. And to an extent that's true, but what you're missing out on is all of the benefits of learning another language that the rest of the world is getting. And also the empathy of understanding what someone has to go through in order to learn another language. Because as you know, and as I know, we can't be ourselves all of the time in a language that we've just started learning. We're much more restricted in terms of our vocabulary. We're much more restricted in terms of our expressions, our jokes, our humor, all of that stuff. So, you know, I mean, I think it's, it's just important to remember that that's what's going on. Um, I mean, my story started basically from birth. Um, I grew up speaking English as my first language. My mother is half Greek. My grandmother was from Greece. And my mother tried really hard to pass the Greek language onto me. But um, I resisted it for a long time, like many kids I know who were brought up bilingually. And, and whenever she'd speak Greek to me, I'd reply in English. And it always just felt like a weird game, to be honest. I was like, why is my mom speaking Greek to me when she understands perfectly well when I reply in English? Um, and, you know, my mom didn't lose hope. And one summer, she, she took me to Greece for the whole summer. And um, basically, that was the first opportunity in my whole life where I met people that you know, spoke Greek to me, but didn't understand when I replied in English. And I suddenly realized that languages were important. And I actually understood the need to learn other languages because basically at the age of eight, which is before anyone starts learning English, I faced a very simple choice. Do I spend a summer without any friends and without having any fun totally on my own because nobody speaks English? Or do I go and try and make an effort to make some friends and speak Greek and have a good time. So obviously, eventually, I took the second choice. And by the end of that summer, I was basically, you couldn't stop me speaking Greek, it was just coming out all the time, because suddenly, Greek had this amazing connection of being in this beautiful place and having amazing friends and 
you know, running around and swimming and sunshine and that kind of thing. And I, I just really, really loved it. So I remember very clearly at that age, I had this um, thought about, wouldn't it be amazing to be able to speak to anyone in the world, regardless of the fact that we don't share a mother tongue? Wouldn't it be amazing to go to any country and just be able to find who your friends are and not have language as a barrier, but actually have it as a bridge? And um, I haven't really looked back since then. I just started learning German and French at school. I started teaching myself languages on the side. Um, I studied German and Russian at university. I've lived in five or six different countries now. Um, and really, I think my story is an example of the fact that languages are a great hobby, but they're a very dangerous hobby as well because they're so addictive. Absolutely. I mean, I don't know. I mean, maybe I just have problems making decisions. Maybe that's actually what it's all about. But I just think, why would I spend my life, you know, learning one language? And, and I mean, I have plenty of respect for people that do this. But for me, it's, it's a simple choice. Why would I want to spend my life learning one language and perfecting that one language and going as far as I can in that one language? When there's a whole world of languages out there that you can get involved with. It's just, I just get so addicted to being able to speak to people in languages that nobody expects me to be able to speak. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. 
It's so interesting, that problem, isn't it? I mean, because that's really what I was referring to earlier when I was saying that I think there's a lack of empathy um, amongst monolingual English speakers towards people speaking other languages. Because, first of all, I mean, when a monolingual English speaker goes to another country, they don't suddenly start speaking the language of that country. They keep their own language. You know, we don't change who we are. We don't sacrifice our identity just because we're in a different place. You know, I mean... Um, I love living in different countries because it really kind of allows me to understand my own identity, understand my cultural identity so much better than when I'm just surrounded by people who are like me. Um, but a lot of that experience, I mean, obviously I try to integrate, I learn the language, I want to make local friends, I respect the culture, I respect the traditions, but I don't want to sacrifice who I am just because of where I am. Do you know what I mean? And I think that 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 expectation that, that people need to change who they are, they need to, you know, to speak in a different way, they can't even use their own language to speak to people in their own families, you know, it, it really worries me. And it's definitely an attitude that does exist in the UK. Every now and then you get a viral video of, of some crazy person yelling at someone on a train for speaking a foreign language. And basically the reaction is, oh, but that's just a crazy person. We don't have to worry about that. Um, and, you know, I'm concerned that actually, yes, this is just a crazy person kind of screaming at someone on a train. But I think there is an attitude to an extent that people think that people should be speaking English in the UK. And um, they just don't understand how much of a sacrifice that might be to someone who may be living in that country, not entirely out of their own choice, but because there's war in their own country or economic circumstances mean that it's unsustainable for them to stay living in the country where they're from. So you know, this, I think these are just some of the things that you begin to become aware of when you learn other languages, when you travel to other places, when you meet people who've done the same. And when you begin to experience what it's like, basically, to live in a different culture.
Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And we'll probably never need to. That's the other thing.
Yeah, prioritize and make sure that kind of you're learning the language that you need to talk about the things that you want to speak about. I mean, that's the really key thing. I think um, there's a fundamental shift in, in the mentality of people that are learning a language when they suddenly stop expecting it all to come and they start going after it themselves. Um, and, you know, this is the difference between learning a language and expecting to be taught a language. You can't be taught a language, you know. I mean, a teacher is not there to kind of open your brain and insert the language in a way that requires no effort from you. The teacher is just one of multiple sources of information in the same way the textbook would be, in the same way that a YouTube channel would be. And, you know, ultimately you need to learn to use that resource in a way that is efficient and in a way that complements your learning style. But, um, you know, fundamental mistake, I can just completely agree with what you're saying, you know? I mean, do you need to learn the word for parrots? No. Um, I don't think I've ever needed the word parrot in so many of the languages that I speak. Um, because it just doesn't come up in conversation. You know, it's nice trivia to know, but uh, depending on your goal, I mean, if, if your goal is to learn a lot of very specific thematic vocabulary just to exercise your brain, then, you know, do whatever works for you. But if your goal is to speak the language, to be communicative um, and to be able to form connections with other people, um, you're absolutely right that you need to make a very conscious choice about the words, the phrases and the grammar that you study in order to best get you to that goal.
Yeah, it's difficult, you know, I mean, because I think this is how a lot of us end up in situations where we do just use English. I mean, um, who's the one being rude? I mean, for example, in the context that I'm in, where I live in Spain and there's a lot of international people here and a lot of people come here for, you know, good reasons, but also all of the wrong reasons. They come here for the cheap way of life. They come here for the sun, the beach. the you know the nightlife the food all that kind of thing um, but they're not really interested in what's already here they're not interested in the culture and they're not interested in the language sometimes you end up in a situation where you're with one of those people and you're with a group of local people and uh, everyone wants to speak English to accommodate that person um, but that person doesn't fully appreciate just how much of an effort these people are making to accommodate them you know but a couple of times it's happened to me when um there's come a point in the conversation where they've just gone, you know what, screw it. Like, I'm so sick of being this English version of myself where I can't tell you the things I want to tell you. And um, suddenly they'll just switch and they'll start speaking Spanish or they'll start speaking Catalan, which, whichever it is that they speak. And um, it's almost like speaking to a completely different person. You know, they relax, they breathe out and they start telling you things. They start opening up to you. Um, they really feel that they can confide in you in a way because they're, they're speaking your language and the contrast with before when they're having to choose their words, they're having to negotiate an unfamiliar language very, very carefully is just so striking. And it's those moments where I really think to myself, wow, this is why I learn languages because um, I don't want to see a translated version of other people. I want to see people as they are, I want to see them as themselves. And I know that I experienced that. I mean, I love learning languages, I love being multilingual, but English is, without any shadow of a doubt, my mother tongue. It's the language that I think most clearly in, it's the language that I write in, it's the language that is always going to be my strongest one. Um, I know that when I speak another language, it's great to be able to communicate with other people, but I know I'm not always fully myself. And that's the kind of challenge I need to find the Spanish me, I need to find the French me, the German me, the way to express my personality and my thoughts without making sacrifices in those languages. And, you know, that's an absolutely fascinating challenge. And once I started taking on that challenge, I sort of stopped learning new languages, really, because I've realized that being able to express myself in these languages that I've been learning my whole life, to the degree in which I am able to express myself in English, is going to be a challenge that's going to take another lifetime. Mm -hmm. Do you mean top it up or what do you mean? No, um, I, I really don't think you have to. There are no rules, basically. I mean, there's only the rules that you set for yourself. And um, basically, 
every single language I've learned is not a random list of languages. Every single language has been a reason. There's been a motivation. There's been something to make me need to do it or want to do it or just a reason why it's made sense. Um, then that reason, that motivation, whatever it is, is also ultimately what's determined my level. So um, when I've learned a language because I've lived in a country, um, often that's enough to make me kind of conversationally fluent because the immediate need is to be able to interact, to be able to go to the shops, to be able to go to the post office, you know, all that kind of thing. Um, and it gets you to a certain point. When I've learned a language because I have a very good friend from that country who wants to sit and discuss really complex topics, that's the level that my language will end up at because the need changes. The need becomes something much more complex and it becomes something much more immediate. When I speak a language because I've worked in it, again, the need is different. So my level is different. You know, I mean, ultimately, this is where I've done it because I really think that, you know, all the theory aside, all of the time commitments aside, the motivations and so on, the most important thing to be successful at learning languages and learning multiple languages is to enjoy what you're doing. And um, the moment it starts to feel like a chore, the moment it starts to feel like something I have to do, I know that personally with my personality, I just wouldn't enjoy it anymore. So I always try and make sure that it's something that is, is really bringing me a lot of value to my life and, and making it easier to live the life that I want to live. So I don't feel a pressure to keep all my languages at a top level. I certainly don't speak all my languages at an extremely advanced level. I'd say my advanced languages that I'm comfortable working in are obviously English and then Greek, German, Russian and Spanish. Those are my top five. Um, and then after that, most of my languages hover between kind of b1 to b2 and then some are probably like an a2 but you know what it's fine because um whenever i need to go to those countries whenever i meet people from those countries i can follow what they're saying in my weakest languages and i can make an effort and you know i know that one day should the need ever arise i'll be able to pick those languages up and take them to that next level so you never really get bored when you have this as your hobby because you know that um you know, there's always more to do. However many words you learn in a language, there's just as many left to learn. I, I learn the languages that are kind of in my life and that are important to me. So I'm definitely not working to a list. Um, I just learn the languages that are there, I guess. So... One of the interesting things when I speak to people who are learning languages who are based in the US and Canada and that side of the world is that the languages that they tend to be drawn to are very different. And that's precisely because of what you mentioned earlier, which is that there's different immigrant groups in those countries and different languages that are there. Um, now, I grew up in the UK, in London, and most of the languages that were in front of me were European languages. Um, I grew up being able to kind of take a bus to the Netherlands for equivalent of about 15 US dollars. Um, so that was a language that was accessible. It was just there. Um, so it made sense to learn it. Whereas a language like Chinese or like Tagalog or Urdu or something like that just wasn't as readily available for me. So that's why I haven't gone after that language. Um, so I'm not really, so I mean, I know most of my language profile is European languages plus, um, you know, Hungarian, which is obviously the non-European language in the middle of Europe and um, Hebrew, which, um, you know, I basically started learning that because uh, I wanted to travel to Israel and there were very cheap flights with EasyJet, which is a low-cost airline in Europe. So that was the 
reason. So, I mean, that's how I learn them. I really do it on the basis of which languages do I need, which languages are there, and which languages, you know, do I have access to? Wow. Yeah, and I mean, one, I mean, so I used to do something very similar when I was living in London, because I was living in um, northeast London in an area where there's a really high Turkish community. And Turkish is one of those languages that every now and then I'll kind of dip into and pick something out of and then try and form sentences. So it's a language that I really don't speak, but it's a language that I can you know, like try to speak. So I'd always do this in the local restaurants and the local shops, you know, and they were absolutely bewildered because they'd never heard such bad Turkish in their whole lives. But I was having the best time you know, <laughs> because I was putting together all these sentences and really just it felt like this really amazing, fun game to me. Um, and ultimately, by speaking that way and by being open to corrections and, and letting people kind of have a laugh at, at the way that you do speak, you do end up learning. So it was also worth it. <laughs> yeah. I don't even 
even know how to apologize in Turkish. So that wasn't on the cards. You know, I was just kind of trying to tell them things that they probably already knew. Uh, and they probably weren't very interesting. So I can imagine <laughs> in a way I wasn't their favorite customer, but it was really good fun. And, and also, I mean, I did see on their faces, you know, um, in that sort of environment where talking about earlier that people think you should speak the language of the country that you're in and so on and so forth. People really appreciate it when people living in that neighborhood who are from that country make an effort to speak that language. You know, they really like it, even if it's one or two words. Mm hmm exactly.
Yeah. Mm. yeah I mean it's, it's funny isn't it because I feel like grammar is so important but a lot of the time it feels like theoretical learning um, it feels like you're learning about the language rather than actually learning the language uh, but you know sometimes it can be useful I mean when I was learning Hungarian um, I was also going through a long um, well not a long but a period of kind of insomnia And uh, I read this Hungarian grammar textbook as a way of falling asleep, and it worked. And um, the really interesting thing is that even though I was just reading about the theory of the language, it was beginning to introduce concepts to me that later down the line, when I came across them, suddenly became much more manageable and much more um, palatable for me. Whereas if I'd, I think if I'd just come across those concepts in the phrases, you know, it would have been a bit more overwhelming. So... You know, grammar definitely has its place and also reading ahead sometimes has its place too that kind of, you know what's coming and there's not going to be any surprises. I'll never forget, for example, when we were studying Russian at university and one day we walked into the classroom and the teacher said, okay, so I've got a surprise for you all. You know, all those verbs that we've been learning, well, actually there are pairs and there are, you know, perfective and imperfective verbs. And basically for every single verb, you need to learn another one too to understand how to form the future. Alex? <laughs> Hello? Hello, sorry, you lost me for a second there. Someone called me. Oh, okay. Um, okay, wh where, where would it make sense to pick up from? Uh, we were talking about, I believe, you were telling me a story about grammar and how you read the book and you were suffering from insomnia and it helped you. When you were yeah, yeah, it helps to read ahead and it helps to, yeah, I mean, sometimes it helps to read ahead and sometimes it helps to know kind of what is coming up later on in the language. Because ultimately, I remember when I was studying Russian and um, one day we walked into the classroom and the teacher said, right, remember all of those verbs that you learned in Russian? Well, I've got a surprise. And basically, there are twice as many verbs as you think, because every single verb in Russian has a perfective or imperfective pair. Right. And, um, You need to relearn all of that all over again. <laughs> and sometimes there's been, logical... I would have died. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, we were like, what? We've been studying this for three months and you tell us this now? Everything we learned was a lie? You know, so it was one of those moments. So it was a real struggle, actually, to kind of deal with that. Um, but, um, you know, I mean, if we'd been told about it beforehand, then it would have become as less as a shock. You know, you know that this big hurdle right. is coming. It's sort of like, I mean, I think there's so many... Um, 
similarities between learning a language and doing exercise and, and trying to become fit. And um, there's this wonderful app that trains you how to run. And uh, it basically makes you run three times a week. And for the first like six weeks, um, basically you mix it up between running for a minute, walking for a minute, running for three minutes, walking for two minutes and so on. And then one day you just kind of turn it on and it says, okay, run for 20 minutes. And you think, what? <laughs> and then you do it and it's amazing. And it's this real feeling of actually, of actual achievement. Um, but I think there's so much like that with languages. Sometimes it's good to know what's coming down the line to be able to prepare yourself mentally for one day, I'm going to have to run for 20 minutes, which is something you didn't even believe you could do. But in terms of language learning, that's like one day I'm going to have a 20 minute conversation on a really difficult topic and I'm going to be able to express my opinions. But in order to get there, I'm going to have to put the work in now. You know, it's funny you say that because last year I had a um, Eureka moment twice with two different languages, Spanish, I was having a two-hour conversation with somebody from Mexico in mm-hmm. Spanish. And, of course, you know, it's Spanish from when I went to school. So, you know, I didn't know listening to Shakira and all this. I had wrapped up more vocabulary. I wasn't paying attention to that. I was just enjoying listening and singing along. Well, there were words I didn't remember, but I was able to, like, substitute other words for the words I couldn't say right at the moment and I was proud of myself that I was able to do that and keep a conversation going for like two hours now Mm. mind you when I got done my head was throbbing but I literally pushed myself so far that 10 minutes after the conversation was over like somebody called me from Colombia asking me did I want to speak with them (laughs) and I had to tell them can we talk tomorrow because my head is killing me (laughs) <laughs> um, that's how, I mean, that's how bad it was. It took two hours for me to come down from the headache. That's how bad it was. And so I realized, oh, I was fluent over, you know, this whole time. and didn't even know it. Then I went and I talked to a friend of mine's mother. She speaks no English. Russian, two hours. And I said, oh, my God, I'm fluent because... I actually had a two hour conversation with this woman and I made her laugh and we talked about food and we talked about this, this, and this, and we talked about her son and we And it was the most, I didn't have a headache for that. I don't know. I think it maybe it's because I, I've always loved the Russian language, the Russian people, politics, the culture, history, but um, so I just was so happy that I could talk to somebody in that language and not break into English at all. I literally, <clears throat> after it was over, I started crying because it was that powerful for me. And I said, well, if I can do that in all the languages I'm learning, this would be great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I think the other Eureka moment was when I was listening to Tolstoy in Russian. I was listening to Binary Man and, um, I started to understand after 45 months of nothing but Russian in my my life, war and peace. Mm-hmm. And people are like, why do you want to? I mean, I don't understand why Russians don't particularly like their their literature. 
But there was like Americans. That's all they care about is Tolstoy and Dostoevsky and Pushkin. And I'm like, do you understand what a gem that is? You have some of the most prolific writers and composers and politicians and athletes. And oh my God, your culture is so rich. You know, it's like going into a time machine. It's such a beautiful thing to experience. And they're like, oh my God, we didn't even read all of War and Peace. We only read like a chapter, if that. And I'm like, <laughs> are you serious? It's like, yeah, it's too long. I'm like, okay, so it's about 1,900 pages. It's not bad. Hell, you can read two Game of Thrones books. You'll be all right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so, I mean, but to me, I'm a big, me, I love reading. And I love learning about people in history. And so if I could sit there and talk to you about Russian history, not only in English, but in your language and talk about Putin and talk about, I mean, and I actually learned a lot of Russian from listening to him and his speeches, <laughs> especially his four hour marathon state of the state addresses. I mean, I literally just absorbed myself. I spent a whole year doing nothing but listening to Russian material. <laughs> And, and I, you know, I sat there and I said, oh, well, this, this isn't going to be so bad. I mean, at first I didn't understand anything, but the more I kept listening and listening, I started to really understand. And I was like, I love this language. This language is for me, you know, and I was made for it. And so for me personally, to be able to have those types of conversations where you can talk for like two hours. Because even Vladimir Skoltetti said that when I interviewed him. I, I, I enjoy speaking for two and three hours with people in other languages. You know, it's there's something about that that's just exhilarating. And I said, mm. yeah, because look at all the work you put into learning it. That was the whole point, was to be able to have meaningful conversations and get to know people and make new friends. And I mean, because once you make friends for life from learning, you know, other languages, you you become a totally different person. Your life has changed. It's not the same. Absolutely. And you're not as ignorant either to other people and what they're going through. And I, and I've always been someone that comes from a multicultural family. So we, for me personally, it's like, okay, I have like, I found out I have like a quarter Irish in my bloodline and I have like 40% um, West African mm -hmm. in my bloodline with the main language being Swahili. So I said, wow. at, some at some point, I want to uh, learn Swahili at some point. And I said, you know, uh, I will eventually get to speak Cantonese at a B1, Turkish at a B1, and Thai at a B1. And I said, you know, I, I enjoy that whole fact of, wow. I get to speak to people about this. I get to hear about their stories. I get to share their stories with other people. Because I told someone, I said, once I finish interviewing all the people I want to interview, I mean, I'm still going to do my podcast, but I'm going to take all the interviews. I'm going to write a book mm. about my experience doing this as someone is visually impaired using very little technology. And, you know, I mean, it, for me personally, it's a big thing that I actually went and decided to do a podcast show. And because I'm uh -huh. not, I, I used to be visual, like print visual, 
I, I see the bigger picture, like buildings and people and things, but I can't, I can't read print anymore unless I'm like three feet in front of it. So like if I was behind a car, for instance, and I were to read the license plate number, I got to be right up on that license plate mm-hmm. in order to be able to tell you what the numbers were. I couldn't see it from like 30 feet in front of me because that's just not happening. But um, aside, I mean, I've always been visually impaired all my life. So um and a lot of my learning is auditory. All of it, actually. I do know Braille, but it was never pushed on me because a lot of people aren't taught it if you're visually impaired. You know, they want you to read and write large print. You're in a print world. This is what they... Audio. And so um, I do incorporate some Braille. It just depends on what the language is. I do know how to read it in Italian, French, Spanish, Russian... But, you know, that's that's very time-consuming, um, you know, to learn all that. But at the end of the day, I'm more auditory, so I'm, I'm my first inkling to learning the language is the phonetics, how it sounds, you know, the pronunciation, um, you know, me understanding what's being said. Um, I'll take a chapter and I'll just do it lesson by lesson until I'm done for the whole week and then I'll review it because that way I'm able to absorb it more. And I am picky about what I, what I put in my head, but at the same time too, I know some of the things that I need to know I might have to learn regardless of my level of discomfort Mm -hmm. about whatever that is, because it all kind of ties in together. So yeah, I, um, I, I I think I'm going to, do that probably sometime next year um put all the interviews together and get people to help me carve out a book (laughs) uh with everybody's interviews um mainly because i feel personally there's not enough um there are disabled people that are in the polyglot community but a lot of them aren't like me and so I feel that I have a unique perspective on, on how, you know, I go about learning as opposed to everybody else. I mean, there's a lot more people that are more visual, more kinesthetic. There are audio people out there, but people seem to think that if you're visually impaired, you have no vision, which is not even, not the case really. Um, and a lot of people that do, learn languages and that they are completely blind they've never had sight at all they were born that way so because of whatever you know visual problem they may have had whether it's retinitis pigmentosa or macular degeneration or glaucoma or Leber's, and because i have retinopathy of prematurity um lack of oxygen uh, my eyes weren't developed very well they saved the sight in my left eye which is my good eye i have none in my right eye so I mostly was a large print user up until I was 29. And the last time I used a magnifier was I was 36. So, wow. but, but audio has always been there. And because I can see the bigger picture, I can connect visually what people look like, what things look like. I just like, if I look at the sky, I know what the sky looks like. I know what the moon looks like, but don't ask me about the constellation Leo. That <laughs> You know, I, I mean, I have to use it in those terms because people don't get it. Sure. But, but if, if I were to pick up a People magazine, I can read the word people. I can read 
a couple sentences underneath it. I open the book. I can't read that. Mm-hmm. You know, because it's too small. But I still see the pictures of what people look like. Clearly out of one eye. I just, it's more of a central, you know, distance-wise and small detail. So I, I mostly, now that voiceover on Apple products have, you know, audio describe, I can pick up the details that way and I still see what's going on. I just, you know, the little stuff that is going on in the background, I'm able to, the gaps are filled in more and I'm able to have the subtitles be read to me auditorily in whatever language that that particular movie or show supports. And so, so now I'm in the language zone especially with Cantonese at the moment and Thai on Netflix. So I'll sit there and I'll listen to a show with English subtitles. And, and I've watched the show three, three people in a bed in Cantonese. And like, it's like 20 minutes, 22 minutes per episode. So I, it was like one season. So I just watched the whole thing. I got hooked to the show. And literally I could tell you what the whole show was about in English. And then I was like, oh, I'm learning, you know, at the same time, I'm learning can't beginner Cantonese. And then I just said, let me turn off the subtitles. I turned off the subtitles and I started listening. And some of the words that I had learned already were included in the show. So I watched that as much as possible because it's one season. And I know the characters and what's going on anyway from watching it in English one time. So it it gives me some type of motivation to be able to keep going with it. I think my issue is when you're trying to find authentic material, like to read, for instance, like newspapers. I mean, I can find podcasts, but like if I wanted to read a newspaper or have it read to me in that language, it's very difficult or magazines for that matter would be very difficult for me to come by digitally unless I had a subscription to something. Um, But I, because of me being visually impaired, I was able to hook up with the library for the blind in Hong Kong. And they're sending me um, recordings that they do from different publications in Hong Kong in Cantonese for free. Wow. So I'm able to have my, 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 book player um my digital player and just put the cassette in well the little thing inside and i'll press the button and it'll play it and i'm able to have something to listen to that's authentic and people are like your cantonese isn't bad i just got to work on some pronunciation and i've been watching stu j rogers um thai stuff and and i'm I'm this close to landing him for my show as a matter of fact so i'm ready Yes, I really want to interview him. I And it's kind of funny. My dream has actually come true now. <laughs> I've actually been able to, everyone I've been talking to for the past four years, I've been able to interview. So I'm, I'm quite happy about that. Um, no, that's amazing. And, and it's amazing. Definitely, I think, with all the interviews you're doing, you're going to have some really amazing stories to tell. And definitely, we don't know what it's like, really, to learn languages as a visually impaired person or somebody who you know, um, has some kind of, has a handicap or a disability. So uh, I think you've got an amazing story to share with people. And I'm sure many people would find it incredibly inspiring. 
I mean, I know I would definitely love to hear about that story as well. Yeah, I mean, because I've talked to... Okay. Uh, I have to say this. I, I actually admire what you guys do. And I just want to say thank you for welcoming me personally into the language learning community slash family because there have been, for me personally, as someone that's African-American and that's 41 going on 42 years old, uh, I've always been kind of outcast in a sense because I'm not 100% sighted, but I'm not mm-hmm. 100% completely blind either. So I'm in the middle. Right, and, and it's very hard. I grew up around sighted people, so even though I have a lot of blind friends that are completely blind, and I have a lot of friends that are visually impaired, I mean, we kind of stick to each other because it's kind of hard to be in the blindness community when you have a whole bunch of people that cannot see, and they have these expectations that are not realistic, you know. Um, we get a lot of flack because, well, sighted people take you seriously. I was like, you mean people take you seriously? It's not about uh-huh. sight versus no sight. It's about people and how they communicate and how you interact with people. And if you are a people person or are you an introvert, are you shy? You know, so I'm the only one in my family that's visually impaired. So the fact that I went to college, the fact that I went to film school, the fact that I lived in LA, the fact that I did all this stuff and still continue to, you know, I live my life like everybody else lives their life. The only difference is I don't drive a car. I take public transportation. Right. So, so it's like, I don't, I don't see any limitations on myself because my mother would have kicked my ass. Um, I was taught my disability is not to be used as an excuse. It's, you know, okay, so I can't see very well. That doesn't mean that I can't function in society. That doesn't mean I can't be educated. That can't, doesn't mean I can't hold a job, get married, have kids. I live my life. I don't let my disability define me. I define who I am. Absolutely. So, so, it's so inspiring to hear that, you know, I mean, it's just, I think it's just amazing that kind of you live your life without letting things stop you doing that. And, you know, I, the work you're doing with this podcast and, and getting the message out is absolutely fantastic. So thank you so much for having me on the show today. It's been a real honor to speak with you today. Oh, yeah. Um, thank you. And, you know, I'm really looking forward to seeing the kinds of work you're going to do in the future with with this stuff. Because, um, you know, it's, it's, it's definitely going very well at the moment. Yeah, it's not, I mean, I, I really didn't know at first what type of reception I would get, you know, because when you're in a situation where you're rejected day after day, um, it's very hard to find positive people. And so that's going to accept you for you 100% not because you have a disability. And so as a result of that, you know, me being in the language community, me learning languages, me getting to talk to people like you and Ollie and Chris Perlholm and Jimmy Mello. And it, it's, it's amazing. I mean, I learned so much from you guys, like a lot. I mean, it just, it inspires me every day to keep getting up in the morning and cracking open, you know, my apps and, and whatever else it is that I do like, this weekend, I'm participating in my first language um, 
conference um, as a well, an audience member, women in language. And oh wow! So I'm really excited about that. I mean, I got to interview Kirsten and Lindsay and Shannon um, back in September, and they I I tell them all the time, thank you so much for being so supportive um, of what it is that I you know because they were the first three polyglots, especially female polyglots, that I was able to to nab and 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 get to come on my show and then the idea for me personally was oh wow i i can't believe people are actually taking me seriously oh my you know i mean because in the back of my head i just really did not know (laughs) what people would think and um i started you know getting people and um i was very happy about that so right now the only person I have left to interview, like as far as the top four polyglots right now, is Stu J. Raj. Um, I'm going to actually be interviewing Jan and Lucas this weekend. Um, and then I interview Richard on Monday, Luca on Tuesday, and on Wednesday, my good friend Amanda Kantz, and then Andy Roberts at the end of the month, a couple other friends of mine that are polyglots that are known on the internet, but not known nationally. And um, I, I did get Moses to commit. I, and I, I, I was hunting him down for God knows how long. So he's eventually coming on. I have to reconnect with Steve Kaufman. Um, I'm trying to get Dr. Um, Argelis, Argelis. And then um, who else? Uh, there's a few others that I, you know, that I want to interview specifically. I mean, literally, I emailed Ollie because I've been following him for the past four years. And, of course, you know, I know he's, like, extremely busy. I've I've never seen one person in my entire life create as much stuff as he does. Mm. I was like, dude, if I had the money, I would buy it all. But, um, yeah, he, he's great. Um, I got to interview him back in, back in October. And literally when he emailed me and said yes, I, first of all, before I even responded, I was on the phone with my best friend and I just started jumping up and down for joy and crying. Because I told him, I was like, you're my language mentor and hero. And it's like, God, I, I love your story and how you learn languages and the fact that you're creating. Because he makes his stuff accessible for everybody it's not like it's all in pdf i mean he actually does have audio too audiobooks and so i'm able to utilize them in in you know in my language learning in regards to reading material that's something that is like intermediate level because you don't find a lot of material for that so I was very happy about that. And um, we had a really good conversation for 42 minutes. And like, after I got off the phone, I would, I had to pinch myself. I always do after every single interview because I'm like, I just talked to this person. You know, I mean, it's not until after it's over with the shock of the fact that I actually did this rushes over me. Just like I talked to Susanna Sarevsky back in December. And uh, I didn't realize, I mean, I realized who she was, but it wasn't until after I finished having the conversation 
it all clicked who I was talking to. I was like having this outer boundary experience as I was having this interview with her. Amazing. So, so, but I do have two questions about your book. One, how long did it take you to create your book? And, and um, will you write another book? Um, well, let's say the whole project from kind of inception to publication was about five years. Um, and then once um, the contract had been signed and um, I was told to go ahead and work on a project, I had about nine months. But it was about, you know, five years in total. So a lot of time thinking about what would go into that, a lot of work, a lot of, um, I, I used to kind of uh, run some workshops with Richard and with Ollie to um, basically talk to people about their problems with languages. And that gave me a lot of insights into the kind of things that would form the content of that book. Right. Um, so that was basically that. So five years in total, but nine months of actual writing. Um, and then I released a second book in September last year. It's called From Amaret to Jal. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's basically a list of words that um, don't exist in English, but exist in other European languages, which, you know, basically the idea of the book is to say, this is what we should introduce into English in order to see a bit more of the world. So that was great fun. I mean, I love writing. I've always loved writing ever since I was a young kid. And to be able to write about languages, which is my two passions, is just a dream come true. So um, I definitely want to keep writing more books. Um, just have to keep finding ideas and finding motivation, having the conversations about what's viable and what isn't. I was going to ask you, since, I mean, you've worked with Richard and Ollie and all of them, have you ever thought about just in general writing a book based off of your experiences working with other polyglots, speaking to other polyglots? Um, I can't say I have really. I don't think I've ever thought about doing a a book about that um, because... Um, I think the polyglot community's job really is to try to recruit more polyglots. And I think that the way we do that is to spread the message of language learning. And it doesn't really have to be about us. I mean, uh, I don't think that, you know, we as people are particularly important. What's important is that people learn how to learn languages and people feel enthusiastic. So ultimately, as long as that's being done, I think that's the main job. Right. Well, I think I will say this in Russian. Спасибо большое, мой друг, за спокойный моя аудио видео рекордаж сегодня, друг. Я вам хорошите рейтинге, Алекс. Это очень приятно на комменте. Спасибо тебе, Шинел. Я был очень рад говорить с тобой. Пока-пока. Пока.